What's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 25 of Locked on Cubs. I'm your host, Ryan Davis, and you may remember me from FanRag Sports or The Sporting News or CubsInsider.com, and I'm coming to you this Tuesday morning, bright and early, wanted to record and get uh, a few things out there, uh, because the Cubs played four games since I last talked to you, and they went three and one in those games. That, that part doesn't really matter so much, but there are a few things that are, are worth noting in those four games. First thing is that Ian Happ is absolutely on fire. I think this guy just really likes spring training. I don't know what it is about fake games for Ian Happ, but uh, he really seems to like hitting uh, in Arizona. If you'll remember, he kind of took everybody by storm last year by... Uh, ripping the cover off the ball in, in Arizona with the Cubs in spring training and put himself really on the map. Before that, he was just that you know last first-round draft pick with a with a relatively high pick coming in 2015 following that, that last bad 2014 season. But by the time Ian Happ was drafted, Cubs fans were already looking at the future uh, with a team that was already starting to win on the field. So uh, he didn't come with quite the hype of Chris Bryant or Albert Almora or Kyle Schwarber, and with good reason, you know, he wasn't drafted quite as high as they were, and uh, he wasn't uh, necessarily the prospect that those guys were, but uh, it was believed, uh, at least by me, that, that Hap might be an August or September call-up in 2017, and there were even other people who thought, you know, maybe he might make it in September, but mostly he would either be a trade ship or uh, wouldn't be in the big leagues at all in 2017. And then, sure enough, he was there in May. He he was called up in May, and he stuck the rest of the year. And now, here he is again in spring training with the team, making a very strong case to be the leadoff man. And not only that, but making a case for more playing time than I think a lot of people were expecting. So, so Hap gets his playing time by moving around all three outfield spots and at second base. That's about as flexible as a guy can be, really, these days, is playing four positions on a regular basis. Yeah, Hap, uh, he's going to get plenty of playing time, I think. Uh, he's, he's So, yesterday, three for four, he had a double, his fourth home run on the spring. He has a 1.794 OPS. That's... That's insane. It's obviously just spring training, and we're, we're really talking about, uh, like, less than 20 at-bats, really. But numbers are numbers. It, it's still really good, and you, you would prefer really good over really bad if the numbers don't matter, right? So, Ian Happ, that's the name to, to watch for the rest of the spring, and going into April is, is this guy going to be playing kind of 70-75% of the time like I kind of thought, or is he going to be playing 80-90% of the time and leading off uh, most days? That's that's a pretty good question. That may be uh, the, the solution, at least to start the year. On the other side of it, Jason Hayward, if, if Ian Happ is making the case for more playing time, Jason Hayward is making the case for less. And again, still just spring. He's 1 for 11 so far. He batted leadoff yesterday for the Cubs. I think maybe he drew a walk. I, I don't remember. Uh, just not good so far, and the swing doesn't look any better uh, physically. So uh, I'll, I'll talk more about Hayward in the third segment that I'm going to go into. So I, I don't want to stick too much on him right now. But uh, final thing to note, Hendricks yesterday, three innings, 
He gave up a home run, so two runs allowed, but no walks, four strikeouts. You know, Kyle Hendricks is just Kyle Hendricks. He's he's working his way into shape and apparently has a new curveball, which is pretty cool. Sahad of Sharma of The Athletic wrote about that, so if you want to go find that, uh, you can find that at The Athletic. requires a subscription, uh, so if you don't have one, you won't be able to read much of it. But um, Hendricks, that can be kind of good news. Uh, a guy who, yeah, I think he had um, not a great curveball last year by uh, some of the advanced pitching metrics, so uh, if he can improve that even just a little bit uh, to pair with his... Uh, fast his his fastball cutter and changeup, you know a, a fourth excellent pitch that Hendricks could lean on would be, it doesn't even have to be excellent a, f- a fourth average pitch that Hendricks can lean on with the, the rest of his very good pitches, uh, that would be huge for him. And finally, uh, as far as actual games goes, you Darvish will make his real debut today against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I know I told you before he's making his debut. Probably within five minutes of me publishing that podcast, it was announced that he was he was still dealing with some issues from being sick and was not going to be starting that day. But you Darvish apparently will start today for the Cubs against the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think uh, Brandon Morrow and Ben Zobrist will actually also make their debut for the Cubs in the spring. So that's something to watch for today. There's no broadcast information for that game. The Cubs aren't broadcasting it. The Dodgers aren't broadcasting it. But you can listen to the game uh, at 2.05 Central Time on MLB.com. It's you Darvish versus Wilmer Font. All right, second thing I wanted to talk about, uh, another pitcher who got into a game uh, yesterday for the Cubs, pitched the ninth inning, was pitching prospect Oscar De La Cruz. He tossed one inning, no hits, no runs, I think one walk and two strikeouts, so numbers were fine. Uh, the line looks good. But the report I read was that he was sitting 88 to 92 miles per hour on his fastball, which is less good. That's that's not where you want to see him. Here's what John Sickles of uh, Minor League Ball said about Oscar De La Cruz, I think, in 2016. The reports are strong. Fastball up to 95 to 97 on his best days and consistently in the low 90s. His breaking ball is inconsistent but, is, but has plus days. And the changeup is rudimentary, but has a chance to be at least average. So this is a, a Cubs pitching prospect that is, you know, 92, 93, 94, up to 97 uh, with his fastball. And coming in in spring training, hitting 88 to 92. It, it's not necessarily a major concern right now because this is the start of spring training. And this is a pitching prospect who's likely to hit double A. But it's something to watch for. This is a guy that I feel like is one of the more important Cubs pitching prospects. He has a high ceiling, just like Albert Alzole. He could be a middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy, but this year I feel like is very important for him. He needs to actually kind of bust out and make that next step towards the big leagues. Just like Alzole, he's already 23 years old, but he has yet to pitch at double-A yet. So that's where I feel like he's going to be headed this year if he's healthy. And you know, that's just something to watch for, I guess, is this is a guy that's been high on Cubs prospect lists for a year or two, mainly based on the projection of what he could be, which is that kind of middle of the rotation pitcher. And he just, his numbers aren't bad, but he hasn't put it 
all together yet. And with his age, it, it kind of needs to come soon. This isn't a guy that you want to see uh, turning 24 or 25 and not having been to the big leagues yet or or having not pitched well at AAA or and not even having shown up at AAA yet. You know, so that's that's something to watch for with him. It, it would not be encouraging if he doesn't pitch well at AA and move up to AAA at some point this year. Oh, one last pitching prospect to look at is a guy who is kind of a non-prospect, but uh, Justin Hancock, he came over in the Matt Caesar trade with the San Diego Padres last year. He was a starter throughout his career in the minors. Not really a guy that anyone really thought anything about. His minor league numbers weren't great. He had a low 90s fastball, kind of middling stuff. But the Cubs, I think, have moved him to the bullpen, and he came in and pitched that inning before uh, De La Cruz did and was 95 to 98 miles an hour with his fastball. So that's something to watch. Uh, could Justin Hancock turn into a actual relief pitcher that the Cubs could use? It, very possible. I mean, that's 95 to 98. That's what you want, right? Uh, that said, what relief prospects don't have a fastball in the mid to upper 90s these days? They just, they don't exist anymore. So um, that it, it's the best way that Hancock could get to the big leagues is moving out of the rotation in the minors and seeing if maybe adding a little more life to that fastball could turn him into an actual reliever. Who knows, but just, just a name to keep an eye on. He's not on the 40-man roster. Uh, if he ends up on the big league roster this year, it's probably because he found lightning in a bottle or the Cubs had a ton of injuries in the bullpen. So not not exactly even second or third in line at Iowa to head up to the Cubs, but uh, just a name to keep an eye on for the future. Last thing I wanted to talk about is that Jason Hayward stuff. Uh, Sahad of Sharma, again, wrote for The Athletic uh, a whole piece on the topic of the unprecedented regression of Jason Hayward. The notion is that guys who are good hitters in their prime that don't get injured tend to not become bad hitters for no reason. And Hayward is kind of in that group where he was a really good hitter with the Atlanta Braves and then kind of fell off a little bit with the power, but was getting on base. He mostly hit for a high average, high enough average anyway. Uh, he wasn't an offensive star for the most part, but uh, combined with his defense and his base running and, and other in intellectual parts of the game, he became one of the better players overall. And this was a guy who was worth six plus wins above replacement a couple times and the Cubs signed him when he was 26 years old. So the thought process was that going forward, even if he never became a, a, an offensive star, Hayward was going to be a very valuable player to the Cubs, even just as what he was. Nobody predicted that at 26, his offensive skills would completely decline and that they would just go away. Sahada points out that Hayward's never had uh, a very good swing. It's always been ugly. It's always been kind of uh, confusing as to how he puts up the offensive production that he does. So maybe that is a little bit of a surprising op optimism, I guess you could say, going forward, is that Hayward still has a kind of ugly swing that just looks like it should be eaten alive. Maybe he puts it back together and figures out how to have that offensive production again this year even with the ugly swing that, that pitchers should be able to, to murder him with. 
I'm not optimistic about it. I was much more optimistic last year with Hayward than I am now because I felt like he was completely broken in 2016 to the point where they just needed to completely redo everything he was doing. And they did. And they actually had uh, some success with that. I think a lot of people lump his 2017 in with 2016. That's not exactly fair. As late as July 23rd, Hayward had a slash line of 268 with a 325 on base and a 419 slugging percentage. That's not all that dissimilar from the type of numbers he put up prior to joining the Cubs. That was a 743 OPS. From there, his slugging percentage dropped off about 20 points, and his batting average dropped off, I think, 9 points, and he ended up not having uh, the best overall numbers. But uh, according to baseball Sorry, according to Baseball Reference, Hayward was worth 2.3 wins above replacement last year. That, that's not what you're hoping for from your $184 million man, but you can take what you get at this point with Hayward. I know he's working hard with Chili Davis. I know that uh, he still has a lot of talent, but at this point, I'm just not that optimistic that Hayward's going to turn things around. Uh, if he can repeat his 2017 or something close to it, I'd be happy with that. If he could repeat his 2017 and get on base at a slightly higher rate, that would be outstanding. At this point, I think there's a serious case to be made that Hayward is going to be losing playing time. He never has been very good at hitting him in his career, but last year, 662 OPS, you know, you gotta set him against left-handed pitchers this year. The Cubs are in a position where they have so many talented position players that need at bats. You have 10 or 11, maybe 12 uh, guys that could be regular everyday starters. They all need playing time. You got to get Zobrist in there. You got to get Happ in there. You got to get Almora in there. You got to get Schwarber in there. These are guys that need the time. And if Hayward can't hit, at some point he's going to have to sit against guys that, that Joe Madden thinks he won't have success against, even if it means sacrificing a little bit on defense and right field. So, I would say maybe Hayward just starts against right-handed pitchers or pitchers that that he can have success against. Uh, It's worth pointing out he had a 340 on-base percentage against right-handers last year. That's that's not bad. So, you know, if he can figure out just getting on base again, uh, laying off the pitches outside the zone, uh, maybe... And maybe it's just a factor of that pitchers aren't throwing as much outside the zone as they used to against him because they realize... Even if you're in the zone, he can't catch up to a high 90s fastball. So I don't know if he can up his on-base percentage, but if he can, if he can be a little more like July Jason Hayward last year, if he can be a little more like the guy who got on base before he signed with the Cubs, that would make all the difference in the world for him. And I think Cubs fans would accept that, right? Like you sitting at home listening to this or in your car, uh, if Jason Hayward just, you know, a uh, 250 batting average, a 350 to 360 on base, and a 390 slug with great defense and right field, is that good enough for you at this point? I, I think it should be, you know, based on what he's done the first two years. If he had done that in his first year, I think Cubs fans would have been really disappointed with it. But here in year three, after what we've seen the last two years, I think a lot of people would be really happy if Jason Hayward was just getting on base again. And then you could move him up in the lineup a little bit, bat him in front of Chris Bryant and uh, Anthony Rizzo if you wanted to. 
uh, maybe just against right-handers, put him up there. Let him get on base in front of those guys. He's a smart base runner. If Jason Hayward is getting on base, he he's a perfect leadoff candidate, minus the fact that he tried it before and, and doesn't really like it. But at this point, he's going to have to just kind of you know, do whatever he can to help the team, I guess. If Joe Madden wants him leading off and getting on base in front of those guys and says that's how he's going to be able to help, he's just going to have to you know swallow his pride and just do it. That's all I have for you guys today. Another short podcast, but not a whole lot to talk about. Again, just spring training games. So that's it. Uh, please uh, email me if you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast at LockedOnCubs at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at LockedOnCubs or personally at Ryan Q. Davis. You can find all my work at FanRag Sports and at the Sporting News and also Cubs Insider. I'm looking forward to, in about a month, hopefully heading up to Wrigley Field and getting to some games and and starting to put together uh, the 2018 season. It's getting exciting. I wrote yesterday for FanRag Sports about the Cubs' rotation. I threw in some really interesting numbers. Uh, if you're if you're interested in the historical aspect of how good this Cubs rotation is compared to maybe the last 20 years uh, of the Cubs and what teams uh, they project well against, uh, give that a look. Uh, I put together some of their numbers, their their win above wins above replacement projections uh, for this rotation and where they stand uh, against their peers and against teams of the past. It was an interesting read, I think. Personally, for me, I, I I wrote it, I guess. So it was an interesting write from my point of view. I think it should be an interesting read from your point of view. So go give that a look. It's uh, on my Twitter timeline. I think you retweeted it at Locked On Cubs as well. So you can probably find it there or just at Fanrag Sports. All right, guys, that's it. I will talk to you next time.